Welcome to Culture Crawl ATX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. All right, so we can go ahead and just you know, hop into it right now. A uh, very fluid conversation. So I'll go ahead and, and start us off and just say that COVID-19 coronavirus has really highlighted the disparities that I see here in Austin, but also um, nationally and also globally, just given the fact that students are not in schools, you know, people, families, some certain families are not able to generate an income and then hourly workers, so restaurants, tourism, all that has impacted our, our economy and has really showcased that we ha- we're not prepared for something like this and we have not leveraged technology the way that we could have to be better prepared. And right now there's all this push for virtual, 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 but you know, we could have done such a better job to prepare for this. And now my mindset is all about what, what is gonna happen you know, three months, six months from now after all this subsides and we got a better control on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and say, um, I moved school districts here recently from Lake Travis ISD to Pflugerville ISD. And uh, one of the reasons that I came to Pflugerville ISD was for diversity, right? Um, But that diversity includes socioeconomic diversity as well as race, religion, uh, ethnicity. But what I've learned now with this experience is that when you are in a wealthy school district, it's not just the finances that they have available. It's also what they've done with those finances that allow them to take advantage of opportunities like this. So I heard um, from a a previous neighbor that their kids uh, were set up on Schoology immediately. They, they, like with no break in time, uh, they're even still getting graded on their work. Whereas here in PFISD, we're getting emails. So our kids went on spring break on the 13th. Uh, I think somewhere around the 18th, we learned that they were not going to go back to school. And yesterday we received an email saying that hopefully by the 30th, the district would have a response for our distance and e-learning experience. Um, But even with that, it sounds like social promotion is most likely uh, going to be enacted across the board because they've already waived any of the star testing um, requirements. Um, I don't know what education looks like when school goes back in, right? Because we know that some students who probably should not have been uh, promoted will be. And those students now who are competing with students in other districts will be behind for sure. So, and, and that's what I've been thinking about here from, from ISD because, well, from Austin ISD, because they're specifically those in East Austin or even low income areas, like they're unsure what that time frame looks like. And they're still unsure how are they they're going to provide access to the internet for those areas that don't have access to the internet 
because it's a little outside of their control, right? I mean, the education system doesn't think, oh, do people have access to internet or technology or devices? They're more so thinking about the curriculum. However, other areas where property taxes are higher, they don't necessarily have to worry about that because the infrastructure is already there. Right. And I that think too, there's a, there's a transition that has to happen even in the, the mindset of the students who haven't been introduced to that type of technology mm -hmm. prior to mm -hmm. this college. Yep. And so, you know, we're, you know, I've done some work in Maynard ISD, uh, a little bit in Pflugerville. My kids are in Pflugerville. Uh, but engaging through technology um, is different, right? Even for mm -hmm. us right now, we have to adjust not being in person and, you know, not be able to speak over one another and whatnot. So I think it's the same thing for uh, the disparities within these schools that have already had technology in place. They're familiar with it. They know how it works and um, they had access to it before the outage. So moving into this remote setting, yes, there's a higher reliance on it, but at the same time, there's not the learning curve for how to use it. Um, uh, I just mentioned too, that my kids are in Pflugerville too. And a teacher has engaged with us a couple of times. They actually had a Zoom meeting with, uh, well, my daughter had a Zoom meeting with her teacher, which she was really excited about to have, you know, her classmates on online and be able to see them and talk with the teacher. But uh, Google Classroom was what she was trying to implement in terms of rolling out the instructions. And there were like three back-to-back -back emails of like, oh, I had the wrong link. Oh, I, I messed up this. You know, I, I, I'm just going to do this for the, t you know, the interim. So, um, you know, teachers even have to make an adjustment if they haven't been using that technology um, as a part of their instruction prior to the outage. So that's what I'm seeing in terms of the impact on instruction yeah and my mindset now as i look at this it's all about just the lack of learning and knowledge right because zoom has been around for so long google meets has been around for so long or google hangouts um and there's there's teams now there's other different types of video conferencing or, or live features that we could use but all that information isn't being shared across generations which creates an issue right because now you have a gap there between the older generation um, and the younger generation and in between. But then it's also not being shared across regions and across zip codes based on where you go to school or based on where you work. So now you have certain individuals because of their access to technology or devices or even just their social capital. Now they're able to get ahead and still generate revenue, still get their, their students or their children educated and not have to worry about a lot of the other factors that other people in low-income areas, underserved areas, underrepresented areas have to deal with. And now we're here playing, now we're being reactive instead of proactive and kind of thinking ahead. You know, I'd say this too. Um, <clears throat> I have a coworker who told me that his students uh, or his children were uh, taking online high school. He told me this probably last year. Okay. And I remember thinking, wow, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> um, and that was just my mindset, right? Like online high school is not homeschooling, but it, it's, is it Coursera? You know what I mean? Like there was no, there was no structure behind it. The way I was able to consume it based on my own bias. 
Um, I think that this experience is going to propel that conversation forward, but it's also going to be disparate, right? Even mm -hmm. um, I, I have a friend who, so we were joking about it. You know, I, I said that my kids are doing the three hours re reading, writing, and arithmetic. And, uh, and she said that her kids had a private tutor learning Spanish and um, art and art and maybe history from African-American professor that she knows, right? And I was like, holy cow. You know what I mean? Even just, and we're in the same district, probably, you know, relatively same socioeconomic band, but her access to uh, the resources puts her kids at an even, even greater advantage, especially as we start talking about whose kids will be free to do remote learning and what that means for their parents' opportunities. Yeah, because that's the other end of the spectrum, right? We have students, individuals, and families. And depending on your industry, depending on where you work, depending on your zip code, you're going to have a completely different experience with coronavirus than those who have access. I mean, just getting testing, right? It, I've, I've seen so many articles and just people putting out there that the rich are able to get tests and those that are not as wealthy are not able to get testing. And it was somewhere I read where it was like, if you want to find out if you, if you are positive or negative, have a rich person sneeze on you and then wait for their test results. <laughs> and that's ridiculous. And, and just, just that mindset is like, I, I see how, how just how, how backwards and how our, our society is not really, is not doing what is, what is needed for individuals to be ahead of the curve instead of behind the eight ball. Well, one thing I noticed uh, about this particular, well, it's called a pandemic now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in my mind, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm older than Michael apparently, but <laughs> I'm not that old. But in the history of my life, I've I've tried to to see what event or a world happening could be compared to, and the only thing I could think of was was 9/11. And even in that, it was more, you know, centered around the United States. Of course, it was a, you know, worldwide impact and influence, influencer. But uh, I see uh, this pandemic as one that is agnostic about who and what socioeconomic. Now, you know, being treated and, and, and cared for after you've been diagnosed or, you know, after you contracted it is a different story. But it definitely, I see it as being unique to um, our, our our history, you know, my history, I'll say that, not the history of the world, but my history to where people of, of different backgrounds, different races, religions, or whatever are being exposed to this. And so it's causing us to have a view that spans our own kind of world and, and impact, like everybody is impacted by this worldwide. So to me, there's a sense that some are more prepared than others, but at the same time, nobody's prepared for this particular event. I mean, everybody's impacted by it in some way or another. Now, the time it'll take to recover would be different, but I, I see our, our culture being, <laughs> I joke because 
you know, my, my mother-in-law and my mom, they, they've been had the freezer full of, of meats and, and slop pile of toilet tissue and, and towels and all that. Like, they just had that mindset already, right? And so they're going to be all right as far as, as far as I can tell. Now, others, maybe, maybe not. Now, that, that's, that's funny you say that because when I think about, you know, growing up with my grandparents, like, we always had stuff in the pantry. We always had stuff in the garage. Like, no matter what happened, you literally could find whatever you needed um, in times of, of a hurricane specific, specifically, right? So I grew up in Miami, and when we had hurricanes, you know, there was no light, there was no water. You out of luck for, I remember, it was like a week or two weeks taking cold showers, um, not being able to really leverage the, the way of life that I was used to. Um, but we at least had, you know, the, the necessities that we needed. Like, we were okay. Yes, we had to change a couple of things, um, but overall we were fine because we had the mindset. Well, they had the mindset to be prepared, and I just kind of learned that from them, right? So now, as I see people go into their grocery store, buying everything in bulk, clearing out the shelves, buying toilet papers, like why are we doing this? You know, why why are we acting as if it's the end of the world versus a virus that is being spread a specific way? due to lack of hygiene, not washing hands, not being aware of what is it that you need to do to prevent the spread, instead of just fear and panic and just, oh my gosh, you know, like, like things are gonna go crazy. Yeah, actually, speaking of fear and panic, I, I'll, I'll pivot it a little bit. I'm wondering y'all's thoughts on, um, on this shelter in place conversation, right? And specifically around the, the concern of uh, being exposed, but then also the um, cultural influence, both of the community and friends. So, so for example, I'm, I'm here in um, Falcon Point uh, and I took the kids on a bike ride <clears throat> and it was all kinds of people, and we're, we are traditionally outside people. Um, but, but when I go to the park, it'd be me and my own, and that's it. But, uh, but we went around the other day, actually that first day of lockdown, or let's call it shelter in place, and the park was full. Uh, people were out walking. I saw um, people playing baseball with their kids. I saw people picnicking. Uh, there, was, there were bikes and strollers and scooters. Uh, sidewalk chalk everywhere, right? It was it was kind of a, as if uh, because no one had anywhere to go finally, right? And they told you to stay in the house. Everyone decided to come out. Now I shared that information with a friend of mine who's a doctor in Houston, and he was pissed uh, because he's on the front lines watching the pandemic grow and also is concerned about the fact that we don't fully appreciate um, what exponential growth looks like. And then also the concept of it's not about us and whether or not our health will be impacted, but who we may spread it to and then how that may impact the hospital system such that they cannot support everyone who would be impacted. Um, but, but like we're out, I, We've done our best to be insulated and social distance, but we, I'm just basically not staying in the house. I, that's not possible for us. 
Yeah, and I think there's a reality that just we have to face in terms of like what our culture is is going to do, like an American culture is going to do. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say it now, like I'm proponent of, of shutting everything down. Like let's, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Let's go 14 days, 21 days, nothing open. Let's Let's shut it down because this is one of those things where we don't know the full scope and impact of this disease. And so if we know that that's what's necessary to what they say would flatten the curve, then let's do it. Let's, let's, let's rip the bandaid off and, and go for it. Um, the reality is our American culture, just because of the way we, you know, just been wired to continue to go, 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 you know, always on the go, always doing something. Nobody's willing to do that, you know, uh, full scale, right? And, and just the fact that you're being told to do it, like you said, kind of creates this rebellion, um, which, you know, for our, my family, I'm, I'm, I'm like, look, we can go for a walk, but we're not playing at the park. We're not, you know, going into areas where other people have been. Like, it's just purely we're walking. We're going to maybe Granny's house, which is around the corner. But even then, we're, we're, you know, washing our hands. We're keeping a distance, a safe distance. And, and till, until we know, like, that there isn't uh, a risk. So to me, it's, I, I understand um, what people are doing, but when you go and you go into areas like playgrounds and, and the like, like, that's a little bit too much. Like, okay, it's fine to go outside, play in your backyard, your front yard, give kids the opportunity to get some, some sun especially when it's weather like this, but we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be congregating for sure. We, we can't do that. A clean mist. I mean, we are Americans. We don't care about nobody but ourselves. And that is the issue. That is the issue holistically, because when this first started in China and we saw the spread, it was like, oh, it's not going to come over here. It's not going to impact us. Then we saw it spreading. Oh, it's just a, it's just an issue that's happening over there. It's not going to actually, you know, pass Europe and cross over the Atlantic Ocean. That's not going to happen. Then when it gets here, it's like, oh, it's only happening in certain cities. It's not going to be us. And then when we have it in our backyard, we still have this idea that everything is still going to continue to operate, even though NBA shuts down, sports shut down, school shut down. Our mindset as Americans have been so seeped into our culture where we put economy and businesses above the health of individuals. And that is a real scary thing when we hear a leadership talking about, oh, we have the, the importance that they have, or I guess the most important thing for them is keeping the economy going instead of saving lives. And when you do that, it's like, come on, you can't do that. No, nah, I agree with you right there. Um, especially like, I feel like it's all from the top down too. Um, you know, I think you mentioned earlier about us being um, very reactive instead of proactive here. And I think culturally that's just become something that we've gotten used to. And, um, you know, if the people at the top of the line are doing the same thing. And, uh, you know, when issues are brought to them and things like that, you know, how can you expect the people, you know, out here like us, like me and you, when somebody just says, hey, you know, all of a sudden you can't leave your place anymore. You know, it's like, uh, since when, you know, when was that ever a thing before? Or when have you guys ever enforced any type of rules or policies? And, um, you know, with the amount of misinformation that's being given out, it's just almost like, you know, we're getting tossed something new every single day. 
And, um, you know, to the average person, you know, they try to disconnect from a lot of this stuff from what I, you know, from what I hear, you know, people watch the news and social media, but you can only watch so much of it before you're just like kind of fed up with it. And, uh, you know, we still got to go about living on our, you know, our daily lives and just doing what we are doing, whatever it is that we need to get done. So I just think it's a, a tough, um, a tough line to cross whenever it comes about like, you know, is it us culturally not doing what we're supposed to be doing or is it just because we're just tired of the misinformation coming from the top down and then it's just at a point where like all right well something's really gonna happen it's just gonna have to happen um but it's a lot of uh, blurred lines in there yeah there's a perfect storm right now because the fact that it is new it's novel right and so we don't have all the details of how it works how it's fully transmitted you know there's no no uh, vaccine or cure you know there's a theory of like a risk population, you know, older and pre-existing conditions. But, you know, as time goes on, we start to see others being impacted by it. So I think even with the, the, the culture of like information overload and all that, like now we're dealing with actual uncertainty where the answer is we don't know, but everybody has to have an answer, right? And everybody has to have some type of uh, definitive, you know, yeah or nay, this is what you need to do. And so it's, it's funny, I've, I've gotten at least three different texts, you know, from a, a sister, doctor, or cousin, friend that forwarded from here to there, and this is what you need to do to prevent this and, and that. And it's just like, wow, like, I thought I was insulated from it because I don't, I don't reach out for it, right? But now I'm getting inundated with it, which is something that's new for me, because I'm usually like I'll shut it down with the quickness in terms of my of my social media and sources when when I start to you know see misinformation. But now it's like being sent to me from personal relationships, which is which is new for me at least. Yeah, my family just started a um, and we don't even talk that much. I mean, we we are close family, but we not close close. But now we have a uh, WhatsApp family channel because of this, because they were sending too many text messages. And I was like, y'all gotta either go to WhatsApp or cut me out of these texts. Um, but it's been informative, but at the same time, it's them sharing with me what they've heard. And, um, and it's good because I can say, no, here's what a doctor friend told me, or here's, here's a link to the CDC. Um, but at the same time, they are, but, but because of the information that they're sharing is the information that's readily consumed by the rest of the group, right? It shows um, how lack of leadership has allowed us to choose what we're going to do about it, right? Even um, I, have, I have coworkers in Seattle, <clears throat> actually, and, and people in Houston actually have even said this there are people who haven't left their house since the 14th. You know what I mean? Like they are ordering food in, they are not going to the gym, they are not going for walks, they have not seen the sun. And that's one group, and then this is including my sister, she said she was getting ready to go for a walk, and my mom was like, no, nah, I don't think you need to do that just yet. Go ahead and stay in the house. <laughs> but meanwhile, I'm here, right? We at the, at Pflugerville Lake. You know what I'm saying? Like, as long as we're um, um, socially distant, then yeah, you, you kids play in your little spot in the water. I'm gonna sit right here on my little towel 
and we see the other families doing it and everybody else because they left the trail open right that means that people are out enjoying the sun so then the question is what is the definition of shelter in place why did i have to why are my you know for example kids not in school and they've closed the bars and restaurants but heb is popping you know what i mean if if we are spreading disease it's being spread right there and I, and you know flattening the curve makes sense but at the same time close the grocery store do military food drops and make sure everybody has all the masks that they need but instead we have all of these um opportunities for us to make the decision that's best for our family i mean not even our family whatever decision we want to make uh and and that is why i think you know we've got a long road ahead there's a valid point about the stores yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah i was just gonna say that's a valid point about the stores and that's why i say shut it down you know four day 14 days whatever you know whatever is necessary to keep people from congregating and spreading because if we keep doing this it's like a drip right and you always kind of have that that opportunity you have to go at some point if it's open you're going to go right and that's just exposure talking to my cousin she she's like yeah walmart is crazy right now they don't even like regulate how many people are going into the store at any one time and so it's just impossible to to keep the six foot recommendation if you're not gauging how many people are entering the, the store at all so yeah i agree completely yeah and i agree with that and if i had a, a magic a magic um wand right i had a magic wand i could go ahead and get whatever i want well, to go back to first, we have to trust our government, our government, because we do not trust our government. What you are proposing or commenting on is not doable because of racism, white supremacy, uh, inequalities, dis disparities. I mean, you name it. There's so many other factors where we can't trust or rely on individuals to have our best interests at heart. Because no matter what happens, there are there are biases that comes to light where we see it, you know, really easily who gets you know, the best treatment, who gets the worst treatment. If we did trust our government and we trust and believe in our military and we had full transparency into where our taxes are going, then when things like this happen, which I'm going to call this a disaster, just for sense of conversation, when any disasters happen, oh, it's very easy. Everybody, here, here goes the steps. Do what you have to do, either shelter in place, limit contact, don't use you know, the phones, whatever the case may be. And we are going to provide the service as a social good because that is the need of the community and the need of the country. However, we don't act like that because we are a capitalist country. So because we are a capitalist country, not a democracy, no, 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 a capitalist country, it's like that is the most important thing above all. And we only care about certain groups and certain individuals within our society. It's very different for countries where they don't have the same, what's that making for the same differences that we do from the sense of race and ethnicity. Yes, they have their history, which kind of creates some conflict. But overall, when countries have issues holistically, it's the whole entire country together fighting this issue. 
But here in America, it's not the same way. It's like, oh, certain people care about it. Other people don't really care about it. We care about a certain group of people. And because of all of this division makes it very hard for us to actually prevent this, which is why we could see now in America, like, I, I need to do some more digging and some research. But we, we are going to do a lot worse in the sense of number of deaths, number infected, numbers impacted, because we are not doing the necessary precautions to prevent it or to flatten the curve. Yeah, I can agree with the, the trust statement um, as to, to the extent that you know, the government is entrusted. I don't know if that it would make a difference because um, to me, I'm sure in Wuhan, China, not every uh, citizen trusts the communist government to do what's in their best interest because a lot of times it's, it's not um, for a certain class of, of individuals. So government trust or mistrust I don't think has uh, as a significant I guess impact or or cause than it to the, to the than the idea of capitalism and this this personal interest um, a lot of our culture is centered you know self-centered and so we don't do things for the common good as much as um, we should and I think that's that's probably the biggest the biggest driver of, you know, you just see it with even this toilet paper. I mean, madness is like, okay, how many, how many rolls of toilet paper do you need, you know, to be uh, comfortable and, and, and confident that you're going to be all right. Your household uh, will be, will be covered, you know, and it's like, don't care. I'm going to get as much as I can because I need to know. Uh, that I have more than anybody else. And yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I, I kind of want to pivot to to ask about personal relationships. Uh, Donald, I think you touched on it in terms of family engaging a little bit more frequently. Um, has that, has that been extended to maybe neighbors or do you feel like your your network is closing? Or is it opening up due to this? Yeah, I'm probably an edge case. So I've been working from home since 2013. And, um, and my wife has a small business where she, where she does it from home, but then also has been predominantly um, with the kids because we we're four, seven, and 10. Um, so we are actually isolated as it relates to the community based on not being from here. Cause I'm, I'm from Chicago. She's from Virginia. We brought the kids in from California. Um, <clears throat> but I will say because people are more likely to be out than um, there, I've waved at my neighbors more because of this experience uh, than I have previously, even though we are always outside. Um, the other thing I have noticed, though, which was weird to me, and I, I brought it up to some, some, uh, some other guys that I, I messaged with, my coworkers have started having digital happy hours. And that, that's where I've realized work also functions as a social outlet for people, whereas because I work from home, 
my social outlet has actually been volunteering or doing things like this podcast, right? Like I get out of the house and interact with other people because of these opportunities outside of work. But now that these opportunities are closed to me, <clears throat> I have to open up my network. I guess, guess it's true. I have to open up my network into the work office, whereas I usually would have ignored them. Um, but now we like share things and talk about our lives, which I never would have done with coworkers. Well, what I would say on that, and we're gonna go ahead and close out soon, but I would say is that now it's more intentional with who you're reaching out to and why, right? Because now you realize that you are, at least from my perspective, you're building relationships a little bit differently. And it's not just because, but now you have so much time. Now you're like, okay, well, what do I do with this time? So, Cleaners, what school are you at? Uh, what part of Pflugerville? Man, I'm right around the corner from you, actually. Okay, we're at um, we're at uh, Murkison. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, Murkison. Yeah, because my my daughter's second grade. Okay, uh, okay. Um, my youngest is four too. He's pre K. And actually, I got, I got when, a, you said, when you said something about um, <clears throat> that Google Drive being right, right, wrong, we might have the same teacher. So I'll um, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I'll ask once right. the recording stops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, we we gotta get up. There's so many other commonalities too. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we live in Blackhawk. So yeah, okay, but cool. I was gonna say, as far as you know, what what this opportunity, and I'm calling it an opportunity as opposed to epidemic, pandemic, hysteria, or whatever, because that's you know just kind of how I'm wired my viewpoint. Um, it's an opportunity for us to slow down evaluate our relationships and really center on that thing that is most important to us. Now, I'm very similar to, to Donald where I've been working from home uh, for going on six, seven years on my own business, few client visits and, and whatnot, but for the most part, I'm at home in my home office working. So the adjustment of being here it's not big for me what's been the adjustment is now I have people in my space and that's my family, that's my wife having to work from home is my kids having to, to be here and as well as be, you know, being engaged with them. And so to me, I'm looking at it as an opportunity for me to connect uh, at a more deeper level, allow for the circumstances to be what it is and not to be, you know, driven by anxiety or fear, but looking at it as, an opportunity to, to just kind of recenter. Um, just a different perspective, you know, just from listening, I think both of, seems like a majority of people on the phone, if not everybody does a lot of work from the home space. Um, so me, I was just gonna give a little bit of insight about how it's been, uh, how I've been impacted as far as just like, you know, my day-to-day -day and routines and how it's just kind of shifted things for me. Um, um, just to give you guys a little bit of background on myself, I'm a former educator in uh, Leon County Public Schools. Um, I taught elementary education for a while before moving out here to Austin, Texas. And I've been out here for about two years. And uh, during my time here, I've been working a lot in uh, promotions and marketing. And uh, so I do a lot of event management and a lot of just on the ground work when it comes to actual clientele and consumer relations. 
So um, a, particularly a lot of my day-to-day interaction would come from me being out at these particular activations and different setups and things like that. That's where I do a lot of my networking and a lot of, uh, you know, just uh, I spend a lot of my day-to-day out there. So when, um, when I am at home, I do a lot of work and things like that, but never to the impact that um, the COVID-19 has shifted things. Um, it's pretty much stopped all of my work dead in its tracks. So there's not any actual forced um, networking or forced types of situations where, you know, I have to go out and meet other people. So literally my whole job has uh, become shifted inward. Um, it's done, it's, it's been more um, hyper-focused on just doing things that are important to me um, that I need to take care of. Um, I don't live with a big family or anything like that. So, you know, it's not like my uh, time has to become more shifted or anything like that on a day-to-day but it's just the amount of time that I get to spend facing inward into what I have going on. And also that I think Michael's mentioned earlier um, about just, you know, really focusing that time that you do reach out to people. Every time that I speak with somebody, it's literally, you know, somebody that it's really, I find of importance to me or somebody that I feel like brings value, you know, somebody that I got love for. Um, We did a virtual birthday party for my grandmother's birthday. And, you know, I could say that I would never have thought of doing that if it wasn't for this particular outbreak. Um, just seeing the enjoyment that it brought her and then just seeing also how simple it was just kind of shows you that, yeah, we're thinking, but we're not really thinking to our full capacity because we could be taking full advantage of this, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in education, um, you know, so on and so forth. But um, it's definitely shifted things up, but, um, you know, definitely see it as an opportunity as well, too. Well said, brother. 